to the Bible Feed podcast, a place for conversations about the Bible and faith in the modern world, where ordinary people come together to help each other understand the Bible better. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of the Bible Feed podcast. I'm Dan Weatherall and I'm here with Paul Davenport again. Hi, Paul. Hi, Dan. Here we go with Revelation again. Here we go again. That's right. Yeah, we're in the thick of it. We've been looking at all the different visions. We've looked at the the seals on the scroll as they've been broken by the lamb. And and we've looked at at the trumpets as well and all these vivid symbols we're so just a sort of really quick summary what we what it's what we're finding what we're discovering it's all about if we can manage to do this is it's this um uh, perspective isn't it there's a there's a perspective issue where the the churches the followers of Jesus on the ground in difficulty maybe some of them experiencing some kind of persecution waiting for Jesus to come again um and they're having a view from earth and yet here is a revealing of, of a view from heaven, God's perspective, effectively, and how, you know, they're very different things. And we sort of looked at that, didn't we? We looked at some really interesting perspectives, how that, um, the, you know, the, the scrolls were all about, you know, wanting God's vengeance to come because of people suffering. And the expectation is, you, you think God's going to come and do this? You know, the, the, even the structure of those seals, you know, four plus yeah. two and then a delay, um, that, that pointed towards that, didn't it? Yeah, and, then, and building up to an expectation of divine intervention, but then that being delayed and, and something else being being explained. I mean, in the seals, we saw it was to do with a, a delay so that there's there's more opportunity for people to come to, to Jesus from those that dwell on the earth. And then in the trumpets, it's a little bit different because they sound a little bit more like judgments. You remember, they were like the plagues yeah. of Exodus. Um, but I guess just like Pharaoh in the Exodus account didn't repent. He was always hardening his heart. Um, these, these plagues uh, in Revelation in the trumpets also don't have the effect of bringing people to repentance and so there's this other second delay in a sequence of seven which then explains that uh, there's some witnessing to be done by the followers of jesus and, mm. and that their witness looks a lot like the um the self-sacrifice of jesus his mm. death and resurrection is described in those terms and then that does bring people to give glory mm. to god yeah so it was a, a real call to action wasn't it i think we, we talked about which mm. um which is is fascinating it really helps us what, what's that verse revelation one verse three is it blessed are those who hear the word and do it keep it and do it is that right and keep it yes <laughs> yeah yeah so there's something to do yeah, we've, about we've quoted a few times now we ought to we ought to know that one off by heart we, by we ought to yeah that's <laughs> Okay, so we're up, we're up to chapter 12 then, and we drew the book of Revelation in the second of, of mm-hmm. episodes in, in this series, didn't we? Which was always always good um, and good fun to do. Uh, and, and when we did that, we sort of had that diagram and we were thinking about it. You said that this was a very sort of different section or it's starting something different. So why, why is that? Yeah, I th- and I think that was, that was because when we get to the end of chapter 11, it, it describes God's temple in heaven being open. Um, and it's this idea of a sanctuary. So, so you're left with this image of the temple being open. Yep. And then when we pick up in chapter 15 and verse 5, we get the same picture. After this, I looked and the sanctuary, it's the same word in the Greek, uh, the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened and then something else is described. So you've, you've got almost a return to, mm. okay, that thing that I said at the end of chapter 11, we're, we're back there again. So, so you could almost just miss out the bits in between mm. and read through from the end of chapter 11, pick up in chapter 15, and you then go into another sequence of seven and it's... 
bowls being poured out and it just flows very nicely from from one straight into the other which sort of indicates that this section in the middle in between those two points is uh, is is a separate section is doing something yeah it does and we're not just going to completely miss it out are we we, 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 we will think about it <laughs> yeah this section it's really fascinating okay there's loads of stuff in there obviously we can't cover mm-hmm. uh, everything that's in there there's seven signs they're not you know we've got sequences of seven the seals and mm. the trumpets this section also has seven things in it. So it starts with with a woman that's uh, about to give birth to a to a baby boy, and then there's a dragon, and then there's a beast that comes out of the sea that is very weird, and then there's a, another beast that comes out of the earth, and that's different but equally weird. <laughs> it returns to the theme of the lamb and the hundred and forty four thousand, and then there's three angels that proclaim some things, and then there's a harvest. So those are the seven things. Yeah, and it's full of fantastic beasts, isn't it? That's the <laughs> the thing we're we're looking at yeah that's what we're going to home in on those uh, those three the dragon the beast that comes out of the sea and the beast that comes out of the earth fantastic beasts and where to find them if we're allowed to say that okay so let's just think about the dragon then first of all we should do this in three sort of manageable chunks that should be hopefully straightforward and we'll just try and re- try and remember be focused on what we're doing we're just we're trying to get a sense of what the the original hearers of this letter would have taken from this that's that's yeah. the the premise isn't it right from the start so Okay, so the dragon in chapter 12, it's verse 7, isn't it? Yeah. Now, war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying... Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Right. What's all that about, Paul? There's, there's quite a bit going on there, but you can see there's a conflict. There's a, a war in heaven between various combatants, including this dragon, and that, that's the that's the one that we want to just focus on. Mm-hmm. We saw it described there in, in verse 9. The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. So, so what is this? What is this ancient serpent? I think immediately that concept takes takes us back to um, Genesis chapter three. I think to the Garden of Eden, to the the serpent that is that we're introduced to there. It says to Eve and Adam, "You will not surely die." You know, God has given this instruction, and the serpent flatly contradicts what uh, what God has said. So it, it deceives. Mm. So that that's the starting point, the jumping off point, if you like, in uh, in the Old Testament for for this concept of a serpent, you know, one, one who who deceives. It's maybe worth just picking up a, a couple of other references to to the serpent idea. There's a couple of verses in the Psalms which, which are helpful in Psalm 140. Okay. So I'll maybe just read read those. So Psalm 140, deliver me, O Lord, from evil men, preserve me from violent men who plan evil things in their heart and stir up wars continually. They make their tongue sharp as a serpent's and under their lips is the venom of asps. So 
people that are behaving in that way. They're, they're deceiving, they're stirring up conflict, violence. Those kind of things are associated with, with the serpent. In that case, it says it comes from, from their heart. Yeah, so the serpent then from Genesis becomes this symbol. Is that right? That Almost this yeah. metaphor and symbol for people who exhibit that characteristic. Yeah, and, and it tends to be in, in opposition to, to God. Yeah, I see. Yeah, it, it's, it reminds me as well of when Jesus in John has a lot of um, arguments with the, the religious rulers. Yeah. Throughout the Gospel of John, it's the Jews, isn't it? And it's referring to the, the leaders. And, and in John 8, where Jesus says, You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. He is lying. And it goes on to talk about him lying. Um, he's the father of lies. That's right. So, yeah, so that, that symbol, that metaphor carries on, doesn't it? He's there talking about the opposition to him, which is a bit like what's been described in symbol. The, the idea that Jesus is putting across there is that these people are showing serpent-like characteristics. So he's saying, you're of your father, the devil, from the beginning he was a liar, um, like that serpent in, in the Garden mm. of Eden. So it's it's about the characteristics. It's a symbol for mm. those very human, those characteristics that come from the human heart, from from human beings. Um, and actually, there's a, there's a, a cross-reference in my Bible from verse 44 to one of John's epistles in 1 John 4, sorry, 1 John 3 and verse 8 kind of reinforces that point. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So so in that Revelation 12, we're seeing this conflict and this ancient serpent, the devil, Satan, mm. in this dragon representation being thrown down. Mm. So, okay, the Son of God appeared in order to, to do that. That, that's really, really helpful, actually, because there's, there's probably all sorts of different views and interpretations on this passage. But there's probably uh, quite often, isn't it, that it's interpreted as if it's describing something that happened a very long time ago when an angel fell and rebelled and was thrown out of heaven. Um, that, or, or it's sort of drawing on that idea and or used to support that kind of idea isn't sometimes, which, which really... We, we, you know, we're, we're talking in symbol, aren't we? First of all, which we've talked yeah. about all the way through, and in the context of what you've just explained, that's really helpful to see this as as the the conflict that Jesus experienced and and the the victory that Jesus won. In fact, that's exactly what he's, what Revelation twelve says, doesn't it? Uh, they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb. Uh, so so yes, yeah, the conquering and the victory is is what Jesus has has achieved. So it's like in Hebrews as well, isn't it? Where it talks about in uh, one of the early chapters in Hebrews about Jesus who took part of the same nature as human beings so that he could destroy uh, the devil, the one that has the power of death. Yeah, exactly right. So so, so in Hebrews, Jesus is described as a, a human being with all that goes with that, so that through his death, he might destroy the one that has the power of death, that is devil. And there's sort of a parallel description in, in Romans, uh, Romans chapter eight of, um, of that same thing, the effectiveness of 
of what Jesus did through his death. Uh, But this time it's for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. Mm. So sin, the devil, you know, it's a parallel passage describing the same thing, what Jesus achieved in his death. In one it's sin is, is, is overcome and the other it's the devil so they're kind of illustrating that they're the, they're the same thing a representation of, of sin and in that passage in Revelation 12 it's the followers of Jesus that are um, that have also conquered by the blood of the lamb because they loved not their lives unto the death mm. so so they've associated themselves with Jesus it, you know we saw that with those witnesses the two witnesses they they followed a pattern that was like Jesus they died and they were raised again you know they they followed Jesus in that yeah image in that self-sacrifice now that's really really powerful so they're, they're participating in what Jesus has done aren't they yeah. that's so that it wasn't a case that what Jesus did was some kind of transaction that that happened and and, mm. uh, and brilliant, we we're now sort of free from from the devil or whatever. No, there's actually it's an example. It's for him. Uh, he he did this so that we follow him. We participate in those things. That's that's the idea, isn't it? And it and it shows, I think, really well that what what the devil, what the dragon, what the serpent is, and and it's it's this sin, isn't it? It's all different different representations and pictures and images of this real struggle that human beings have with with our, ourselves and our selfish desires and to, to sort of use that imagery of the dragon and refer to him as the ancient serpent refer to all those things I think the the first hearers would have heard all of that wouldn't they I don't think their minds would have jumped to literal dragons or angels in in heaven and falling in yeah. in flames to to the earth I, I you know I think there it, it would have been taking them to Genesis the Garden of Eden the source of, of sin and actually in in Genesis chapter 4 there's the the description of Cain and, and Abel, and and Cain murders his brother mm. uh, in the beginning. Uh, you know, we've kind of seen Jesus refer to it. in the beginning. He was a murderer, and in uh, Genesis chapter four, uh, Genesis four verse seven, he's told, "If you do well, will you not be accepted?" And if you do not well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. So there's there's a contest of, of rulership. You know, mm. Who is going to rule in, in the heart and mind of, of Cain? You know, is he going to let you know, sin, anger, deceit, conflict, violence rule? Or is he going to let the peace of God rule in, in his heart? And that's a, an epitome, if you like, of that, of that conflict. It's, it, it is a spiritual conflict in a very real sense. Mm. And I think that might be why it's portrayed in Revelation 12 as a conflict that's in heaven. So it's uh, who is going to rule in the mm. hearts and minds of, of men. Right. Okay. So that's the dragon. <laughs> okay. Let's move on to the next one then, which is there's a beast that comes from the sea. So the, the dragon is pretty fantastic <laughs> or uh, pretty ominous. <laughs> But now we've got a beast that's rising up from the sea, which is a little bit more, I mean, is is really something else, isn't it? So shall I read a few verses from chapter 13? It's worth, just before you read the beginning of chapter 13, just look at how chapter 12 finishes. And he, the dragon, stood on the sand of the sea, and then this thing emerges from the sea. So so there is a connection between the dragon and what is about to appear in this nightmare vision for, okay. for John out of the sea. Right, okay. So this is what this is what John sees. Okay. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power 
and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marvelled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? So, where can we start with that? So, it's not really a... Um a, a real creature is it? It's a it's a real <laughs> no. hybrid of a thing, a chimera, a mishmash of something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so and it's it's a leopard. It's there's a leopard in there. There's a bear and a lion. And I think I think to the uh, to the hearers of this, they would probably yeah. be thinking Daniel. Yeah, yeah, because there's there's beasts that rise out of the sea in Daniel chapter seven, aren't there? So Daniel's beasts, you know, there is it. The, it's a lion and then a, a leopard. No, let me get it in the right order. It's a lion, and then a bear, and then a leopard, and then a fourth beast that is sort of indescribable. And this sounds pretty indescribable. Mm. So it, it's this this fourth beast from Daniel 7. So I, I think it's quite likely that first hearers would have readily identified this with, with the Roman power, with the Roman emperor. It gets its power from the dragon. Mm-hmm. So we've talked about the dragon. It's this mm. kind of human natural influence that seeks to deceive, conflict, subdue others, have dominion, and, and so on. Um, so whatever this is, it's it's a human construct. It's powered by human nature, if you like, human sin. Yeah, which they probably would have readily have seen in the human in in the Roman system. Yeah, the sort of abuse of power and everything. Um, it's got so much strange characteristics, hasn't it? Can we can we sort of explore that? I mean, it's got things like it has a mortal wound, or it seemed to have a mortal wound in one of its heads, but then but then it was healed. So what's what's going on there? Yeah, and and this is this is really interesting because that's a, a set of characteristics. You know, it appears to be mortally wounded but healed, alive again, and then is worshipped. And we've seen that before because that's precisely what is said about the lamb in chapter five. Yeah. So if we go and look in chapter five, between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, but he's he's there, he's alive. This lamb is, is alive. And then he's given authority to open the scroll and then he's praised. And, you know, everything that is in heaven and on earth and under the earth praises and falls down and worships and gives praise to the lamb and the one on the throne that gave him that authority. And so what we've got here in chapter 13 is all those that dwell on the earth worshipped the dragon that gave him his authority and this beast and say, who is like the beast who can fight against it? So so that's what we're seeing, a deliberate paralleling with the lamb. Yeah, it's almost like there's an upstart. There's there's someone deliberately um, or something, some, <laughs> something that's that's deliberately in opposition to God or there's a deliberate mm. parallel to to something that's that's rivaling God and rivaling Jesus mm. effectively and the the lordship of Jesus that's is that what we're seeing yeah i think i think so but in this this beast from the sea it's a it's a grotesque caricature of of the true thing which is the lamb that was slain and that is worthy to open the the scroll and so on and and so we've we've seen two creatures now mm mm-hmm. You know, the first, the dragon, this this influence of, you know, human nature and, and sin. And who is going to rule? Mm, is I it see. God or is it sin in human hearts? So it's kind of parallel to God. God gives his authority to the to the lamb to open the scroll and so on. And, and the lamb is praised. But then sin gives its authority to this other thing, mm. this grotesque representation of something else that is for the immediate hearers. It's, it's the Roman Empire. It's the Roman emperor. And, and actually, 
when you dig a little into the historical background, that fits really well. Because, um, you know, if you go back to the beginning of the Caesars, to Julius Caesar, uh, when he died, his adopted son, Octavian, mm-hmm. who then became Augustus Caesar, deified his father, Julius. So Augustus became the son of God. So he's taking on titles which are directly mirroring Jesus as the mm. son of God, the true son of God. And so then you get the, the cult of worship of the emperors. Initially, it starts out as the worship of the father of the emperor, who's now dead. And when they die, they get deified. But the time of the, the writing of the book of Revelation is probably in the time of the emperor Domitian. And he had a son who died very young, and he called his his son that had died, the son of God, and then kind of put two and two together and thought, well, if he's the son of God, I'm still, so I'm God. <laughs> so he, he sort of deified, he deified himself during, while he was still alive, whereas all the yeah. other emperors at least had the decency to, to die first and let other people deify them. <laughs> but, uh, but, but Domitian deifies himself. So that's that cult of worship of the emperor as a God is reaching its kind of peak and fruition at the time of, of this of this book being written we'd said we wouldn't do too much history with yeah yeah <laughs> with looking at this but perhaps just one more thing the it's described you know one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound um but but it was alive and it was the case that you know emperor nero there was a sequence of emperors to emperor nero and uh, nero committed suicide and then there was a year in which there were four emperors mm-hmm. so it looked like the position of roman emperor was just falling apart and and collapsing but then along comes the um the flavian dynasty with uh, Vespasian, first of all, and it and it recovers, and and it's it's a little bit like this this head that was wounded, mm. but uh, but is healed. Uh, it's so much so that uh, there were rumours about Nero returning. Okay, he just disappeared. He didn't commit suicide. He disappeared. He went off somewhere and then came back. I see. Kind of ten years later, uh, and there were there were rumours and legends about about that. So the challenge to the first century hearers of this is, you know, which is which is the real power? Mm. Is it God and His Son Jesus represented in the Lamb, or is it it's sin and its grotesque manifestation in the in the Roman Emperor. That's really fascinating, and it's it's fascinating to see these this imagery. They're almost like political cartoons, aren't they? You know, that that kind of thing. This sort of grotesque exa- yeah. exaggeration of things that happened, and drawing on things that people would have known about, like the rumours of Nero and things like that. So people would have readily understood it, and 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 yet the the powerful message is is setting up this choice, isn't it? Is that is that right? Setting up a choice mm. to the Christians, effectively, are they going to continue to pledge their allegiance to Jesus as Lord, or or are they going to give in? Yeah, it's painting those powers that are setting themselves up to be worshipped in their true colours. Mm, yes, kind of showing them, describing yeah. them for be for being as as grotesque yeah. as they are. Yeah, you are of your father the devil. That's yeah, yeah. That's that's good. Okay, right. So that's the that's the second beast of the sea. But there's another one, isn't there? So let's look at the third one. 
Um, that's later on in, in chapter 13. And it's the beast that rises out of the earth. So I'll, I'll just read that. So that's chapter 13, verse 11. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. So another strange thing. <laughs> Equally weird. But we can, again, just look at some of the characteristics that are are given for it. So it has two horns. Mm -hmm. It performs these great signs, making fire come down from heaven. And by doing these signs, uh, it's deceiving people. And its purpose, its role, its aim is to get people to worship the first beast that came out of the sea, which we have associated with the, the Roman emperor. So if you think about that, so two horns able to perform signs like bringing fire from heaven and persuading people to worship something else, where where have we seen that before? Haven't we seen that in that interlude? Was it chapter 11 with the, the witnesses, two witnesses? So we have two witnesses there that, uh, chapter 11, verse 5, uh, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes, um, and they have power to shut the sky and do all sorts of things, um, mm. and perform signs. And as we saw when we looked at that, the purpose of their witnessing was to bring the remnant of the people to, to give glory to God. Yeah, it's, it's really similar, isn't it? So the, the, the beast from the sea has lots of parallels with the lamb and the authority given to it mm. and so on. And yet it's this grotesque caricature. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's wrong. It's, it's, it's not the, the reality. Um, and yet, and here, there's something else going on. Another grotesque caricature of, of the, the true two witnesses. And they're trying to get them to worship this beast rather than worship God. So there's this perpetuating that conflict. Yes, yeah. So I suppose the question is, what is it in the Roman world that is, is persuading people, to, seeking to persuade people to worship the first beast or the emperor? What is mm. it? And I, I guess similar to you've got the followers of Jesus persuading people to, to come to Jesus and worship Jesus, and you've got followers of the emperor, the, the administrative machinery throughout the empire uh, that is out there forcing people mm. to uh, to worship the emperor which is you know when the the imperial cult is in full swing throughout the empire you know it is expected in every major city those cities that letters were written to Ephesus and Thyatira and Laodicea and so on in those cities people were expected to attend festivals and offer sacrifices to the emperor mm. and the, the imperial machinery and administration in all those cities of the empire forced people to do that and you know there are some examples of early christians um, who refused to do that and, and there are accounts of um, there's a, a lady called vibia perpetua who actually had a small child as well and she refused to worship and offer sacrifice to the emperor and, and she was she was killed Mm. And uh, Polycarp, who's a, an early church father, uh, also was arrested and then thrown to the lions mm. because he would not sacrifice to the emperor. So it's a very real scenario for 
for the the first hearers of this of this letter and and even if for for most christians they didn't actually suffer to the death they didn't actually go to literal martyrdom the the kind of economic and social outcast they, they well they could become economic and social yeah. outcasts couldn't they effectively by not mm. not engaging with society the way yeah. society wanted them to engage with so so yes this is yeah. um this just brings to light some pretty horrendous situations for them so there's three beasts <laughs> Okay, fantastic piece. Yep. We're building up a picture. We've been able to follow a bit of a thread. But what, what's the overall point? From what we've looked at, there's there's an immediately relevant message, which is in the context of these first hearers, they're in a world in which the emperor has set himself up as as a god or as son of god uh, and given himself that status and title and has has a machinery of administration through the through his empire uh, in which he can force people to to worship him and the message to the first hearers of this of this letter is don't do that don't worship it don't worship the emperor because it's not what is true it's not where the true power lies it's a distorted grotesque caricature of where mm. the true power is which is in the true god and his son the lamb that has that has died to, to free people from from sin and and so recognize it for what it is and don't worship it because it's not what is true so that, there's that immediately relevant point and it's really quite it's quite subversive of, of mm. the, you know when this this is put out and circulated in those those cities the message is do not have anything to do with the the worship of the emperor and that's yeah it's subversive but there's a general a general relevance I think because throughout history in different places different circumstances the, you know the influence of human nature and its natural inclination to to dominate and 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 abuse and oppress sets up power structures and they could be religious power structures they could be political and they demand allegiance from people and they set up oppressive regimes that seek to force people to to conform and give their allegiance to to them and, you know that's that's a repeating pattern throughout mm. throughout history, and so this the message of this is has that general relevance through history as well to to any Christian down the age. Yeah, it's it's almost you know human beings have the potential within them to to be pretty horrendous, but when they come together and in an organised way sort of perpetuate that in in a, in a sort of structure and a power structure, it, it becomes almost mm. ten times ten times worse, doesn't it? It's caricatured. It's worse than even the the sum of its parts. Um, I wonder if that's why it's this grotesque non-human-like beast or it's the dragon or it's the devil it's the serpent you know that that's representing something that's even worse than you know what what humans ought to be capable of but 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 we've got to think look at it positively <laughs> there's a there's a choice in front of us effectively that, that this is what it's trying to say isn't it there's there's jesus and there's his way of conquering and overcoming the serpent sin and it's him by giving himself and that's the call for people who follow him to participate in that to let his sort of dying sacrifice become their mode of life effectively that's what it's calling them to do um so there's there's a way out there's a way out of this cycle and this system mm. of of animal like beast like qualities so yeah and, and i guess that's you know that's a way of us being able to start seeing things for what they are seeing the the structures of humanity for what they are that they're, they're fake and seeing what's what really is true it's that the view from heaven versus the view from earth yeah so yeah very very powerful and, and subversive for, for the time Thank you.
but there's a little bit towards the end of chapter 13 which we need to talk about before we finish which is the mark <laughs> that we, we've we've got we've spent what five episodes in revelation and this is the thing that everyone's talking about or seem to have always been talking about yeah. what is the mark of the beast when's it coming and how do i know whether what, what i how do i know how to avoid it <laughs> yeah you know so what, what's going on there there's, there's this thing about putting a mark on the right hand or the forehead so that you can't buy or sell if you've got that mark we've we've built up a lot of context now so are we in a position to sort of try and work out what that is we've seen already that in these the dragon these two beasts that they're being linked with their sort of opposites whether that's god or jesus or the followers of jesus being the, those witnesses so it wouldn't be surprising to us to find that the mark of the beast has a parallel in that mm-hmm. In something that we've seen already, and I think it does. And it's we saw in chapter seven that the hundred forty-four thousand were sealed in in their forehead. A sealing, a mark was put on them that marked them out as as belonging to Jesus. Okay, and yeah. So it's it's a mark of ownership of of allegiance, and I think that's all it is. It's not it's nothing literal, nothing specific in that sense. It's it's simply making the point that, that as you say, there's a choice in front of people to place their allegiance with where the true power lies with God and, and Jesus or with these counterfeit uh, caricatures. Mm. So so I, th- I think it is as simple as that. There's also a very real relevant kind of historical to the people who heard this the first time. You know, if you did not give your allegiance to the emperor, you didn't sacrifice to the emperor, then you couldn't belong to some of the trade guilds. Yeah. And so, you, you know, you couldn't operate economically in the way that you could if you just capitulated and, uh, and worship the emperor. Yeah, that's fascinating. Okay, yeah. So to the can't buy or sell. Yeah, th- this is an economic mm. um, hardship for people who who choose not to place their allegiance yeah. to this sort of system and this sort of human construct. So, yeah, w- w- what's the 666 thing, though, at the end? So, <laughs> this calls for wisdom, this is the last verse of chapter 13. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Well, there's a code, if, if ever there was one. And we said Revelation wasn't about cracking codes but here, here is one. Yeah, here is one, and and it tells us this is one, doesn't it? You know, this is you know, this this calls for wisdom, and you've got to try and calculate this. So yeah, the rest of it is is something different. But here is a code, and it, it does genuinely seem to be a, a code number that represents a, a name or a or, or a thing, and and that's that was a common practice. So it is called gematria, where the letters of the Greek alphabet have numbers associated with them, and you add up the numbers, the, you add up the value of the the letters, uh, and you get to a number. So there's some graffiti that's been found in Pompeii, mm. for example, uh, which says, I love her whose number is 545. <laughs> uh, so someone is declaring their love for someone uh, whose who's name, presumably the letters of their name, mm. add up to 545. So it was it was a real thing. You know, that was found in Pompeii in 79 AD, or that's when it was inscribed. All sorts of ideas about what how, how to apply that to, to 666. Irenaeus, who was in the second century, uh, applies it to the word Latinos or lat, the Latin man or Latin speaking man, which adds up to 666 and that associating it with Rome. Um, Neron Caesar is uh, in, you know, the Caesar Nero uh, 
translate that, transpose that into Hebrew letters, and they add up to 666. Uh, so whichever of those it may be, and there are others that other people have suggested, they're all pointing to Rome, essentially. Mm, okay. So rather than saying, it's the Roman emperor I'm talking about, because it's quite a subversive message uh, that might not be well received in the Roman yeah. Empire. So it's in a coded way saying, this is the Roman emperor we're talking about. Right, okay. Yeah, and that fits exactly with what we've seen. So the context we've looked at mm. has really been really helpful to understand that mm. and it just perpetuates that idea or, or, or solidifies the idea that there's this um, choice before the Christians that who they're going to place their allegiance in. So it's not a barcode and it's not something for us to look out to. We, you know, whenever we see the numbers 666 together, that's not something sinister or anything like that. It's something that's more sort of about our moral choice, isn't it? And our of you know who we choose to trust is it going to be the systems of humanity that perpetuate violence and sin of of all the things of all the things in that chapter it it's just one extra little piece of data yeah that confirms the overall message brilliant okay thank you very much for that so just to finally trying to wrap this up the whole thing we've been looking at is almost a call to to not do something isn't it you know but what should Christ, what should they have done you know what What's the call for the Christians? How should they sort of resist? What do they need to be doing? Yeah, I mean, I suppose we've we've used the word subversive a couple of times, and uh, you know, and that might be associated with you know an underground movement or a revolution uh, of some sort. But it's it it doesn't have those messages attached to it. It's not a call for violent resistance mm. to the Roman the Roman system. It is a call to you know if you recognise where the true power lies in in the one true God and uh, and His Son Jesus and the example of self sacrifice of Jesus, then it's a call to follow that example. You know the example of Jesus, the the care for people that was involved in that. You know it's designed, I think, to give Christians comfort that. You know, even if you're in the unfortunate situation where you, you can't benefit from the, the the things that the system promises, if you worship it, if you if you follow its its values, that doesn't matter because that isn't where the true power lies. You know, it is ultimately with with God. A little bit like um, Jesus in in the situation where he was before before Pilate. Uh, Jesus answering Pilate says, "You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin." That's where the true power lies, and that's that's really the the overwhelming message of, of this section. And that's helpful for Christians who have also just heard that, according to God's timescale and the view from heaven, you know things might go on for longer than they might expect and anticipate. Here is a call for them to endure and to trust and to maintain allegiance to Jesus throughout that time because they're sort of part of God's way of bringing people to, to God. Right, so that's fascinating stuff. Lots of strange and wonderful things from the book of Revelation again. Thank you, Paul, for helping us get some kind of sense of, of some of it at a high level. We were never, ever going to delve into the detail of this book but but sometimes that's really helpful just to to get a a sense of overview of what the purpose and mission of the book is so we're sort of marching well well towards the the close of this series uh, so i think we've got one more to do haven't we yep so hopefully you'll come back for that thank you everyone for listening as always let us know what you think please do follow us and like us on facebook you can find us on instagram you can find us on twitter as well now so uh, bible feed online so you can find us there, getting up to, to no good at all in the Twitter sphere. So if you're on Twitter, check us out, find us, follow us, whatever the Twitter lingo is. And of course, BibleFeed.org. By all means, get in touch. It's really good to, to hear from people when you've, when you've been listening to 
the podcast. So thank you very much and we'll see you again soon. You've been listening to the Bible Feed podcast. Thanks for joining us. We're always keen to hear what you think, hear your questions or subjects you'd like to discuss. So get in touch with us on our Facebook page or send a message from our webpage at biblefeed.org and be part of the journey. Thank you.